0: I even alluded to in the opening, Uh, this year we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. I'm hoping we will be done by the book of Ephesians. Uh, Last year I thought I was going to be preaching three or four books, but whoa, that was actually two. Okay, Uh, but I'm hoping we'll we'll go through this. uh, And by the way, throughout church history, people have also preached this book. And for instance, uh, John Calvin, I think he preached 55 sermons. Through that, okay? So we're not like the first guy, and there's others also as well. Because I actually think there's so much gold in this book. But then before we begin even going further, I want to ask you guys this. If you knew that there is a really, really rich man, that there's a very rich man, that he put, and this is not like one of those email schemes, okay? Like some Nigerian prince. But if you knew that there is someone put your name down in inheritance, and this person has many riches, and promised many riches in many details. How many of you guys would be excited? Mm-hmm. How many of you guys would be excited? About, whoa, okay. How much more so if this person was once your enemy, but then also then put all these things down. Now, this is where, at least for me, I would start thinking about getting a lawyer, right? Okay, how many people, with, uh, how many people when you hear of, of even inheritance, sometimes with very detailed, do you even see when inheritance is very big that there's, many, there's not just one lawyer involved, but there's many? Anyone know of any situation like that? You hear perhaps maybe in your own family life, or perhaps also as well in you see in the news, okay? Now, I want to say in opening up this book in in Ephesians, I want to say this first and foremost. Say this after me. This book is important for me. Okay? Because this book is actually declaring our inheritance. This book is declaring our spiritual inheritance in God, okay? Before we even look at really today's, is is we're going to look at the greetings to Ephesians. We're going to set up the background. But even then, I don't want you guys to think, oh, Jimmy just just loves history and just want to go into historical details about this Roman city coffins. This is not what I'm doing. This is not an academic study, per se. This is still a sermon about a relationship with God. But why this is important is first and foremost, if you look at the book of Ephesians, this is telling us what God has given us through the death of who? Christ Jesus, okay? If you look at the book of Ephesians, if you look at the book of Ephesians, you will see you see that the term inheritance appear more than once, okay? So if it appears more than once, it's probably important. And by the way, this is a short book. This is a book of how many chapters? Six, six chapters, okay? Five, six, six, six chapters, but six chapters, okay? Relatively short chapters. This is not like six chapters at Psalm 119 long, okay? This is relatively really short, and if it appears more than once, this word is probably important. Turn with me real quick. The first look is Ephesians 1.11. Let's turn Ephesians 11. And Josh in big boy voice, Josh in big boy voice, could you read Ephesians 1.11? Also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Okay, so this is going to be next week or two weeks from now when we look at Ephesians 1.11. Right off the bat, in the first chapter, you see the word inheritance, okay? So, we notice it says we... Have obtained an inheritance Okay That is Who's a we As a reference Is believers Okay So do we have an inheritance Yes Okay Do you think this is the first time This is the only time I mean That inheritance appear in this book No Okay Turn with me also as well If you can To Ephesians 1.14 Okay So three verses later It says Who is given as a pledge That's the Holy Spirit Of our holy uh, Of our inheritance with a view to redemption Of God's own possession to the praise of His glory, okay? Now, in a few weeks, we'll unpack what the word pledge means and how rich it is. We'll also unpack the word inheritance also as, uh, uh, as well, and also the word redemption, okay? But nevertheless, this is the second time you see the word inheritance, okay? And notice it says, whose inheritance is this? Our. This is Paul, the author, writing this, the human author, and also us, okay? So, for the second time, it describes that we have an inheritance, Okay, then look with me in verses 18, okay? Verses 18, Josh and big boy voice, could you also read that? And pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what okay. are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Yeah, notice it says riches, okay? That this is not a small inheritance, okay? I know sometimes you see in family drama that you're so people can be so excited for what? An inheritance? And then when they finally get it, it's like, oh, It was a lot less than I thought. And then there's all the source of what drama that follows, okay? But notice it describes here, it's the riches of our inheritance, okay? And then Paul even says, you know what? I want to pray for this church in Ephesus that they know and also as a result, us, we would also know, okay, that our eyes, what does it say? Our eyes might be enlightened, that eyes might be able to see what is the spiritual inheritance that God has given us, Okay? But even as we pray, if you ever read uh, D. A. Carson's book, uh, he makes it the theme that there's a, a, a relationship between prayer and scripture. Okay, sometimes some people could be emphasized one thing over the other. Some people could be all about the word; it's all academic. It's beautiful to see God's word, but then they're not a man of prayer or woman of prayer. Some people could be all about prayer; they always tell God is everything. But just like Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love, so in his first chapter he says, "Well, sometimes the first thing we need to do is what." The first thing we need to even do is just be quiet and listen to God, right? Mm-hmm. In, in any relationship, it's not just one way. So we see there's a relationship. So even as Paul prays to God that he says the church will be able to see the riches that we have in our inheritance, yet what is the document? What is the document that sh- shares our inheritance? What is this called? The Bible. The Bible, okay. Yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. It is the Bible. And also the book of what? Ephesians, okay? <laughs> the book of Ephesians, okay? It is true the Bible, okay? Thank you. Praise God that people says biblical answer. Actually, it's more than Ephesians, okay? It's, it's the whole thing. But Ephesians, practically, okay? So that's the third time you see inheritance in just the first chapter, okay? And then turn with me for the last time of the word inheritance. Ephesians 5.5. 5. Ephesians 5.5, 5, okay? Ephesians 5.5. 5. Ephesians 5.5. 5. For this you know certainly that no immoral or impure person or covetous person who is in idolatry has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, okay? Notice, just like with any kind of inheritance, there might be legal things where the lawyers are involved. There's also stipulations of the conditions that are required. Now, we read this. I know we're all about grace. But this should shock us to realize, you know what? If you live a life that's immoral, sometimes that reveal our spiritual DNA, there might not be spiritually a child of God. Okay? If you are a child of God, you will desire to fight immorality and purity. Not perfectly. Of course, you have to focus on Christ. But at the same time, you see here, and by the way, even it shows this theme of idolatry is much more bigger than what we see in the beginning of the Old Testament. That you bow to a sacred cow or, or a statue, right? That even says immoral, impure, covetousness is an idolatry. So it's, that's a stipulation of the covenant. Uh, of the inheritance, okay? There's requirements required of you also as well, okay? And yet, catch the word there, it says an inheritance, okay? An inheritance. So in light of this, we're going to see the condition. And also, even as our responsibility and requirement, we're also going to see God's grace in fulfilling some of those requirements for us to be able to be saved, to be able to get this inheritance, okay? Now, if any, like I said again, if any of us, When we have an inheritance, it will be an act of grace. How much more so if this grace is from who? God Himself. Okay? So in light of this, we're gonna look at the introduction, okay? We're gonna look at the introduction on these two verses, the greetings to Ephesians, okay? And we're gonna consider four points just to set up everything what? to to look at, okay? I think the way we preach a Bible is expository preaching. Sometimes people think of that as verse by verse, and I think that is the case. But I think expository preaching could be done is more than verse by verse because some people could do verse by verse and they do it what? Not well, not accurately, Right? Or they sound like a running commentary But today what we're doing I think the best way of thinking of it Is we want to preach it according to its context And as we look at its context Then when we see all the context Then you see, hey, there's some things That are also the same situation as our lives The technology might be different Some of the human conditions still remain though And human nature is still the same And God remains faithful And yet this is how it applies to our life Okay? So what I picture it Is almost like we're building a space station Okay? But just like when you build a space station You can't just have one what? Space shuttle at once. Okay, so we're going each time, each week, we're setting up more things of just what it is that God has revealed in here. And today is the background. That is the intro, the, the, um, the, what was going on that this letter is in the introduction to this book. Okay, we're going to see four points. Number one, we're going to see a dual source of his authority, uh, of Paul's authority. Okay, um, really the letter is going to, uh, this is just, uh, Prologue is going to show The name of the sender Recipient and green. But point number one If you're taking notes We're going to see A dual source of Paul's authority Okay A dual source of Paul's authority Okay This is in verses one Then point number two Point number two Is you're going to see A dual description of believers Okay It's going to see What is the description of believers Still also in verses one Okay A dual description of believers Then you're going to see a dual blessing, okay? A dual blessing. A dual blessing. This is in the first half of verse 2. First half of verse 2, you're going to see a dual blessing that Paul wishes and prays to God for this church. And then also as well, fourth point, is a dual source of these blessings, okay? There's a lot of doublets that's involved here, okay? Uh, This outline, uh, in terms of the wording uh slightly modified from MacArthur's, I felt, uh, in preparing this week. This was probably the best uh, in light of this, okay? Uh, there's less originality for myself this week, okay? But in looking at this, this is a, really what you see in verses 1 and 2 is a typical Greek opening for a letter, okay? It gives the name of the sender, the recipients, and greeting. But yet, as we look at this, I think there's also theological truths that's relevant even for our lives beyond just this being, what, a letter that is being sent for a particular time and place. So let's look at the dual source of his uh, authority. And I want to, point number one, a dual source of Paul's authority is this, that I want to emphasize that when we read this, this is actually God's word. And not just only for Ephesians, not just only for the first century AD, but if the authority of, of who it's from also means it's relevant even for us, okay? First thing you see in the first half of verse one is it says, Paul, an apostle of who? Christ Jesus by the will of God. So the writer of this letter is who? Talk to me. Paul, okay? Who is this Paul? Paul, before he became a Christian, was named what? Saul, okay? I remember teaching this to these bunch of kids, my, my evangelistic Bible study every Friday. Uh, they started realizing, hey, you know what? You're always rhyming and trying to rap, okay? So Paul, before he was Paul, what was his name? Saul, okay? And then he saw a vision. He fell and it was an awe and then what happened? He became the Apostle Paul, Okay? So originally, he was a man that's of you turn, put your pinky or thumb or bookmark in Ephesians and turn with me to Acts 22, verses 3. Acts 22, verses 3, okay? We're going to see some background of who he is. According to Acts 22, verses 3, this man was a disciple of a very famous Jewish rabbi, okay? In fact, in this uh, part, in Acts 22, in the context, Paul was actually arrested and he's giving a speech before the Jews that was accusing him. So he gives a little bit of a, a biographical background of who he is, okay? Verses 3, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Celia, but brought up in the city, educated under Gamilo. You see that name? Gamilo, I can't pronounce things, okay? Strictly according to the law of the fathers, okay? Being zealous for God, just as you are uh, today, okay? This is a name that most Jews would have recognized. Most Jews would have recognized because this was the name of a very famous rabbi. In fact, we see people c- quoting him from the Jewish rabbis during the days after uh, Jesus' time, uh, around the days of Jesus and beyond, okay? He was a very, very famous rabbi, and yet Paul studied under him. And he was a very zealous Jew to be discipled by this guy, okay? In fact, if you look at verses 4 to 5, we see his activity before he became a Christian, before when he was named Saul. And the activity you see specifically is he's an anti-Christian leader, okay? He was persecuting Christians. It says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting men and women into prison, as also the high priests and also the council of the elders can testify. From this, I also received letters to the brethren and started off with, for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Okay, You guys see this? He was a persecutor of Christians. And yet, look at verses 6. It would indicate that While he was on the road to Damascus That is modern day Syria the capital modern day Syria What happened? A bright light shined He fell And he saw the person of Christ He was blinded And yet his life was changed forever He now converted And became a follower of Christ After he became a believer If you turn back with me to Ephesians 1.1 God has given him a new office Turn back with me to Ephesians 1.1 And I'm going to ask this question what is this office that he now holds? What is this office that he now holds? An apostle. An apostle, Okay? An apostle of Christ Jesus. Okay? Apostle literally means set one. It's often used even outside the Bible in everyday language. Someone that sends with an authority. Okay? So for instance, during this time period, there's a time period under the Roman Empire. The Roman Emperor is known as Caesar. When he sends a messenger to another country, that person would be called what? An apostle, okay, one who is sent with a message and it has authority that's delegated to him. By the way, that messenger doesn't have authority on his own. His message, his message comes from who? Uh, his authority comes from the one who sent him. Okay, so here he is. And by the way, in scripture, it makes a requirement that an apostle, according to First Corinthians nine one, we don't have to turn there, but for reference, First Corinthians nine one, he must be one who has seen the resurrected Christ. Okay, he must seen the resurrected Christ. And yet, when you look at this, he's clearly shown, even early on, when he says an apostle Christ Jesus, he's already indicating that everything he says is an authority, okay? That just like anything with a will, there must be an authority behind the one that's executing it or, or declaring it, right? A lawyer, for instance. Here he is, he's showing his authority by saying he's an apostle. And where does his authority come from? Where does his authority come from? There's two sources. The first one, it says, is Christ Jesus, this verse, do you see it in verses 1, it says of Christ Jesus. This verse mentioned, an apostle Paul was owned by Christ Jesus. And number two, is, uh, in, in, this, in light of this, it's also amazing that Paul went from an enemy of Christ to what? Being an authorized uh, servant of Christ Jesus. Is it because of anything good he has done? Yeah, right? By the way, has he done enough bad things to qualify, disqualify him? Yeah. Remember he imprisoned them? But you remember Acts 22, verses 4, he even put them to what? to death okay this guy was a murderer and yet Christ turned him around surely by the way anytime we serve God we must never forget sometimes we think grace is only God's grace is only for our salvation but we must never forget that when we serve God it's always still by the means of grace if we forget that when we serve God we will be very prideful okay by the way when we serve God I think sometimes a sign that we serve God right it's just like any service job you guys realize being a in service industry industry is a good or easy no right. Who wants to Who wants to Work at McDonald's Service industry Or retail Service industry Right Or or You know Even working security Right It's a difficult position Because why You are so they see Other people's face Right And there's some people That are sick and morbid Sometimes They feel good They have to have what Someone serve them And just snub them Right So in the same way I think the way we serve God Sometimes God allows that So that we don't uh, when we even serve Him with difficult people, it's a sign that we need God's grace. That That's not surprising you're outside the will of God, but that's exactly where God has you to be. But your authority, the authority of uh, Apostle Paul is from Christ Jesus, and secondly, is by the will of God. The word will here refers to desire, wish, or resolve. Okay, 51 out of 62 times, this is uh, referring to God's will. So the Bible actually emphasizes more about God's will more than even our will, okay? In fact, I think God's will is even more important than our own, right? And because we want to be God-centered instead of man-centered. And I think this is referring to God the Father. And here we see, how do we know that He really has the authority of God the Father and of Christ? We see from other scripture uh, we, that the apostles must be able to work miracles. And did Paul work miracles? Yeah, okay. You see in the book of Acts, for the sake of time... We're not going to turn there, but just for reference, in Acts 13, if you're just taking reference, we're not going to turn there for sake of time. Acts 13 verses 8 to 11 is one instance, but there's many of him. That's a way of God attesting that he really is an apostle, that if he's going to come over and say, hey, this is your inheritance, how do we know this is fraudulent uh, document or authentic, is he's able to do what? Miracles, okay? That even the church in Ephesus, when it was first founded, this is the first century uh, Christianity when the foundation for the church was laid. He even did a lot of miracles before the witnesses of the church in Ephesus, okay? So his application there's application from this it's not just academic. When God gives his word through his messenger do you acknowledge it as God's word and obey? Okay, now today uh, I think it's important. Do you acknowledge it as God's word and that you obey? Okay, that you acknowledge it's God's word and obey. Of course we must all test all messenger of God's word according to what? God's Revealed Word, okay. Even back then, the Apostle Paul, if you look very carefully in his letter, he often quoted where Old Testament. He's saying, "Hey, don't believe me just because I say, but because everything I teach has root, has root in where the Old Testament." And he's doing exegesis or interpreting the Bible himself carefully, okay. So as application, as application, do you also, when you hear people declaring God's Word, do you also what see it for yourself? I think maybe the analogy, if we go back to the inheritance analogy. Even if you, a lawyer says this, like, okay, this is what you get and this is what you don't get, how many of us would also verify just looking at it? So we might not know the technical language of a, a, a legal language, certainly, but certainly we'll take a look at it also as well, right? And if there's dispute, you also want to see, hey, what do others have to say? But ultimately, every one of them is tested by the words of the will of the inheritance itself. We don't have apostles today, okay? We don't have apostles today. There's some people on what? The TV, you'll see preachers that call themselves what? I'm Apostle Todd or Apostle whatever, okay? But they might be Apostle Todd, but they might not be Apostle according to God, okay? Here we see, we see here, uh, while we don't have Apostles today, uh, nevertheless, there are still people that declare God's Word with authority. But let me make this very clear, the authority is always derived from Scripture, Okay? Uh, I trust you guys know enough that I don't often talk about my authority as a pastor. Um, But I do think there is a derived authority. But that authority is never in and of itself myself. Does that make sense? So if I retire as a pastor, do I still have authority over the church? No. Okay, or the local church? It's always a derived authority from where? The Word of God. Okay? The Word of God. So ultimately, the application is, do you submit to God's Word when others pointed out the Word of God to your life? Sometimes we so easily look at the messenger Messengers are flawed, yes But we need to look behind the messenger Beyond the messenger And submit to God's word, okay? Let's go to point number two Let's go to point number two So point number one You see that there's a dual source of Paul's authority Now we're going to see a dual description of belief Here I think this is much more um, Closer, direct right application than even point number one, okay? Because when we look at these dual description of believers, even in the introduction, I think it's important to ask the question, is this true of myself, okay? Is this true of myself? Verses 1, the second half, is our second point. Uh, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, before we even look at these two descriptions of believers, that's universal, that's true for us today, the church in Elmani Mani, uh, or 4047 North Durfee Avenue, right? Uh, yet we also want to see the original background first Notice this church is the church at what city According to verses 1 What city? Ephesus Okay You guys have a glossary or atlas in your Bible? Uh, if you guys look at it if, There's probably several Okay Whether in the back or the front of your Bible Okay Look for the one that's Paul Missionary Journey Okay uh, I actually don't have one uh, just, I just I want to situate where it is Okay So if you know your geography there's a country, modern-day country, called Turkey, okay? Turkey, okay? Don't be like my daughter. Is, is ask, is it called Turkey because there's a lot of Turkeys, right? It's like, no, there's, there's people that live there that call themselves Turks, okay? Uh, but they don't, Turks don't only live there. They're scattered all over. Um, all those countries called the stands, right? Uzbekistan and all, all those things. There's people that are Turk, like all the way, even stretch all the way to China, to what's that province called? Xinjiang. Also, as well, okay. So, uh, in light of this, you, you look in a country called Turkey, more in the bottom, more in the south part, near the waters. There'll be a city called Ephesus, okay. So, this, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the city of Ephesus itself before we talk about Paul's relations to this church. This was actually a very important city, okay. This is actually a very important city in the Roman Empire. It's a very important city. In fact, it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So, in terms of population, what uh, number ranking is number three okay the population is estimated about 200 to 250,000 okay maybe the equivalent of of uh, Pasadena today is about 200 something thousand is That correct Mr. Byrne roughly okay uh, around that much and even though if you kind of look at a mass of, tons of LA right or even that sometimes even st- mass of the state even though it's LA is closer you sometimes see Pasadena mm-hmm. because of its size and, and also certain things uh, it was cultural significance, okay So it's about four miles from the GNC And it's actually a very important uh, city Because um, it was a center back then People would trade, okay When people trade or, or sell things In fact, the Roman Empire The reason why they're able to have peace There's a little bit more of history Outside of Bible commentary the, One of the reasons why the Roman uh, Empire Had a lot of peace within this empire Is two reasons Most of the time people think It's because of what? It's Roman armies, okay But if you actually look at the size of its army and in the area the people control, it's actually a pretty tiny force, okay? In fact, if a Roman legion, which is probably modern the size of an army or military di- or, yeah, army division, okay? Or maybe like a, a half of the size of an army division, okay? Not marine division. Marine division is a little more reinforced. It's too too big because there's so few of them. Um, but it's about 10,000 so. If you look at it, if any time in Roman history, if a Roman legion shows up to your neighborhood, that's because something's going wrong, Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually in the frontier, but if it shows up in your neighborhood, that's because someone's rebelling, and the regular local troops cannot put it down, and therefore, they're going to come and what? Squash the bug, okay? Mm-hmm. So here, one of the second way to control things is actually, uh, unlike the other empires, it promises that if you're faithful, if you're loyal, you will have a lot of bread. You'll have a lot of wheat, because why? They controlled the, uh, the wheat supply from Egypt. And because of refined agriculture. And, but then the, in order to ship through the whole empire, the wheat from Egypt and from Syria would have, uh, have to be shipped through the different part of the Mediterranean. But back then, ships were weaker. They had to stop in ports a lot. And the first stop would always be in Ephesus. Okay? So trade was really big. And that was, it was an important city because of that. But the second thing is also, it wasn't because of the ship, but it's also roads were connected. Shipping oftentimes, in terms of commerce, would be roads and what? See, that's true today. But we have a third one is air. In fact, today, still primary way of uh, business is still what? Shipping is cheaper. And what? Roads is cheaper than sometimes air. Okay? So in light of all this, okay? This was a very important city. And it was also important because because of its uh, economic importance, it also became a leader of the worship uh, of a Greek um, uh, god or goddess uh, named Artemis. Okay? Uh, and later on, you'll see that Paul, because of so many people becoming Christian, Someone will be like, a. Our city's not going to be important anymore. Let's start a riot, mm-hmm. so that we would be. That's found in Acts nineteen. It's a city that was big and magic. Okay, so and it was major role. So with all that background, I think Paul was very strategic when he planned his church here. It was he was hoping that this church will what? Be part of its spiritual DNA is to share the gospel elsewhere, and therefore plant what different churches. Okay, so now we're talking about Paul's relationship to uh, Ephesians. The church in Ephesians. His first visit is found in Acts 18. Could you guys turn with me? Put your pinky or thumb or bookmark in Ephesians. And turn with me to Acts 18. Verses 18 to 21. Okay. Paul visited them three times. How many times? In fact, I think of all the church, he probably spent the longest time with them. Of all the churches in the New Testament, this church has actually had more recipients of writings that's uh, later on recorded and saved in the New Testament than any other church. Letter okay, one of them is the letter of Ephesians, the other one is when in Revelation, the last book about end times, one of the seven churches is to who the church in Ephesus. Okay, first, second, third John was also written to the church in Ephesus, also as well. Okay, so turn with me to Acts 18 18 to 21. This is the first time Paul visited Ephesus. Okay, notice where he was preaching at his first time when he was doing missionaries before there was any believers. This is where he went. To preach, okay? Uh, Acts eighteen eighteen says, Paul remained many days longer, uh, took leave of the brethren, pulled out to see to Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila, okay? Uh, in verses 19, it says, They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Then he entered the synagogue, that is through center Jewish standard worship, and reasoned with the Jews. What he's doing is, he's saying, hey, give me your scripture, which is our Old Testament. And he's pointing to all these prophecies about who? Christ. So they say, hey, if you really believe in the Jewish scripture, what they call the Tanakh, you definitely must believe in who? Jesus Christ, okay? And then as a result, some people became what? Believers, okay? But then he left because he was going on his first missionary journey. The second time you see him mentioned was when he was on his third missionary journey, okay? If you look at Acts 19.1, it happened that while Paul was at Corinth, Paul passed the upper country and came to Ephesus, okay? So he left them earlier And then now he's back again Okay But this time According to verses 8 to 10 Of Acts 19 He stayed for how long? If you look at verses 8 to 10 How long did he stay there this time? Okay uh, Yeah uh, So he, he went there And then he traveled around a little bit For three months uh, To other areas And then in verses 10 uh, Two years Okay uh, Two years Okay He stayed there Okay uh, to, in, in Asia Which is what they call modern day Turkey Okay. Don't picture East Asia, you know, China, I don't know, Japan, that kind of thing. This is uh, near East Asia. Okay. So here you see that he was there, and while he was there, all sorts of things happened, Okay. During his time, if you look at, remember, originally he went to reach who? He went to where to preach? Synagogues. Who goes to the synagogues? What kind of ethnic? People, Jews. Jews, okay? Apparently during his two years Look with me real quick Look with me real quick to uh, If you look with me You see during his ministry in verses 10 What happened? Who else believed? What other ethnic group? Jews and Greeks You guys see that? Jews and Greeks uh, Some of your version, I think NIV says Gentiles Okay? Then if you look at verses 17 Who else is mentioned? Both Fill in the blank. Both Jews Jews and Greek, okay? Then if you look down again uh, in chapter 20, verses 21, okay? For the third time, you see the mention of Jews and Greeks, okay? So now even other people are becoming what? Believers of God, okay? By the way, in writing to this church, there's going to be mixed ethnicity. Mm. I would love our church to be mixed, and in some sense, we are, on the English side, right? Uh, Even among Chinese, there's different kinds of what? geographical or subcultural Chinese. In light of this, we're Americanized, right? And yet we're all background. And sometimes the best way of unity is what? By focusing on who? Christ, okay? Ephesians is relevant today. In our world today, where there's so much about being woke, so much about social justice and and racial issues, or sometimes you could mention it so much to the point of even the disharmony, the irony of that. And yet we see the center of Christian unity, for the church is based upon looking at the inheritance, the common inheritance we have in Christ, okay? And the last time was in Acts 20, verse 17 to 18, is when he went there, when he was going to go, he knows he's going to be in prison, he's going to die, he's going to be shipped to Rome to be in prison, and have a trial before the emperor, Caesar himself, and yet when he was on the way, he made a stop there, a port stop, but at this point, uh, the sea, the river was drying up, so big boats could not get there, so it was a nearby port called Miletus, and he said, hey, Send a letter ahead of time. Hey, all the elders, all the leaders of that church meet me ahead of time, and I'm going to give you my last words. This is the last time I'm going to see you, okay? So this is, he meets them. It's not a jailhouse blues, but it's what? Jailhouse rock, right? About the rock of Christ, Lord of Lord and Satan, okay? And while he was in prison, then he wrote to them. And this is the letter. That we have okay So in light of this background Then we go back to First uh, Ephesians Okay So remember We must always look at This context first Know what's going on We don't want a fortune cookie the Bible To just grab a verse Out of context And apply it to our lives And put it on Instagram or Whatever else We could do those things But we must always remember what The context okay So when you go back With me to Ephesians chapter 1 We see two characteristics Of believers We know the background Of the original recipient Now we're going to see The two characteristics That should identify Ephesians Believers and also us The first description is saints You see this in verses 1 It says to the what? Saints, okay Now remember, whenever we read the Bible It was always interpreted what? According to its original what? Context, yes? Uh, if I, I know I give this example I know it's pretty cheesy When you see in the Bible it says what? In one accord You shouldn't say what? Oh, I wonder what the disciples drove What color and what make of the accord And what addition Is it Let me ask you Or is, what is it Right You wouldn't say a, a, a car accord Okay You would say According Interpreting according To its original context And original meaning I bring this to say Is this That when you see The word saints You should not read Medieval theology Of a Roman Catholic church Way of saints Now today When people hear The word saints What do they often think of At least for me I picture Pictures Of people that once Followed God In church history and the pictures, what do they have around their heads often? Like a halo, they're glowing, right? They look so, oh, like all that, okay? And then you, you know, you talk to them or whatever and you get some brownie points, okay? That's a wrong theology. I would say that's not a biblical theology. I would actually say it goes contrary to the gospel because the gospel says there's only one mediator, okay, between God and man, Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, and no one could do enough good works than they store it in the call the Catholic Church as a big. Uh, Church of Grace And then dispense it When you go visit Mass or church service Okay That's not how it works Okay So when you read the word saint We must always go back To this original context Just like the example Earlier I said You cannot look at the word say One accord Or therefore all What color and what make What year Is that car Okay So the same way When you look at this The word Really means set apart Say set apart Okay Saint means set apart And every Christian Has been set apart Through Christ Jesus Okay now we often know saint means should be holy, should be godly. But you know what blows my mind away? This church is the members are called saints. Does that mean we're perfect? Does that mean they're perfect already? No. no. Do you realize a biblical view of saints is not just there's two class of Christians. There's saints and sinners, okay? A biblical category is all believers are actually called saints. You, if you know the root word means set apart, that means God has already set you apart for who? For Him. You've already been declared set apart, okay? Do you see the difference? Do you see how different, as we talk about leading an application, this sets us so apart the way we live the Christian life. Christian life, we're not trying to earn something spiritual, do get things, to earn something spiritual. We're already declared by God's grace where we are, our spiritual inheritance. And then we go ahead and what? Live that out. In other words, you're looking at your spiritual DNA and say, oh, part of our spiritual DNA is I'm already a saint of God. Therefore, I'm going to be what? Live my life set apart in my godliness. So you're not trying to do, oh, do all these things, right? Don't drink or chew or go out with boys and girls that do. And therefore, oh, look, now I have the status saint. I could put this on Facebook, new status update, right? No, that's not how it works. The status is you've been declared by God as a saint. And therefore, you act as a saint, amen? Okay. Uh, The basis, uh, so you see here, is the basis is God calling us to be set apart. There's a second description of believers. In the second half of verse 1, it says, Who are faithful in Christ Jesus. The Greek word and here is trying to say, Okay, this is coordinating, okay? This is not just, this is not Paul saying, Oh, you know what? In your church, I'm saying to one class that are called saints, and in the second class, I'll say those who are faithful. No, I think what is going on in the Greek construct is saying These two descriptions is true of this one referent One group of people, the church And notice it says we are what? Faithful Believers will be defined as those who have faith That is, they trust in who? Jesus Christ Okay uh, Being in Christ, by the way, as it says here Is going to be a big theme in this book What is In the doctrines called Union of Christ Okay because it's because we're united to Christ then therefore we have all these riches And all these spiritual riches Okay So these are our second descriptions Two description: We're declared saints And our human responsibility is what? We must be having faith That is we trust in God Okay, we trust in Christ Okay So it's application Isn't it true today that people struggle with their identity? Isn't it true that people today struggle with their identity? What do you guys think? Yeah not just people in high school, or middle school, or, or junior high, where people are wondering who they are, whether they're emo, punk rock, or, 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 you know, what, what, you know, in terms of music, or what they're in. People struggle with that even today. But yet, do you realize sometimes God knows us more than we know ourselves? True or not? Sometimes God knows us more than we even know ourselves. Part of God being all knowing means He also knows who we are. We also know who we are. And we need to also go by what His Word says who we are. Okay? And part of that is He tells us our identity. Even when you don't feel like it. You know, in your worst day as a Christian, you're still a saint of God. And in your best day of God as a Christian, you're still sinful, but you're still a saint of God. Okay? Do you find that amazing grace? That's so amazing for me. Okay? We can so easily, in our day-to-day life, focus on our performance. We have to have a right view of ourselves. But sometimes, we have to be honest with who we are ourselves. But sometimes when we look at ourselves, we think, oh, that means if we look at ourselves, that means our whole identity is based upon what I do. But identity first must be what God does, not on our feelings. And on God, we have to look at who we are so that our, rea- uh, uh, our behavior lines up with our identity. Does that make sense? But our worth has to be on who we are in Christ, Okay. Our work. How many of us ever had this like, oh, You know I know people know I'm an angry man So I'm going to work on not being angry And then you do really well And then three months later Someone gets really annoyed And you blow up at work And then everyone's like Oh there's that crazy angry man again you're like "Oh," And everything and you feel so frustrated right You feel so defeated But yes we need to see our sin Go to God And repent and say You know I'm going to claim the promise That you declared me set apart First And then I'm going to what Be driven by grace and driven by joy to lovingly obey, okay? If you are a saint, are you also practically setting your life apart for Christ? If you're a believer, are you trusting God even and believing His promise, even in the uh, difficult things? We should, okay? Notice identity drives what? Our action, okay? Let's go to point number three. Point number three is this. You also see in this letter a dual blessing. And this is a dual blessing, not just only for the church in Ephesus, but it's a blessing for all of us even today. Notice in verses 2, it says, Grace to you and peace. I know sometimes when we greet people, we really don't mean what we say. For instance, when you go to work and you say, how are you? And then the person says, oh, I'm so glad you asked. And he sits down and says, let's grab coffee right now and let me tell you. Break, uh, you know, let's take a, a break. Let me tell you what's going on in my life with my wife and with my dog, right? And then you'll be like, whoa, oh, 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 okay. I just, I'm just greeting you. How are you doesn't mean I really care, right? I'm okay. <laughs> uh, just, just being honest, okay. okay. Uh, just as an example, but we should care, okay, as Christians, okay. But I also say that when you look at the word grace and peace, I think Paul actually means it. You know why I think that? Is because when you look at this word, this is why it's important to always study in the original background. And when you study original background, it enriches and see what the word really what means. Okay, what the word really means. Okay, looking at all of this. Okay, the typical. Uh, how does he greet them? What is the two blessing he greets them with in verse two? Talk to me so I could catch my breath. Yeah, grace to you and peace. The key word is grace and peace. Okay. Now, if you look throughout the New Testament, it, this is a very typical. Christian greeting. This is not just only true of Paul. If you look at 1 Peter, Peter also used it, the other parts, okay? But at the same time, in modern day uh, language back then, okay, people don't what? Greet people in this way, okay? This is where studying the background is important because you know what's a typical Greek way of greeting people? They would say rejoice. They'll say, hey, I, Paul, write this to you, Ben Chong or something else. And they say, hey, rejoice. Be happy, right? But this is not what Paul says, so I want to say this word What I'm trying to emphasize This is a very distinctive Christian greeting So that we say Why is it distinctive It's because it's meaningful He's not just doing it Just because the rest of the cultures Do this Okay Okay So uh, n- Another distinctive greeting That you see here Is by the way this, he, In the church Has Jews and what Gentiles Gentiles typical greeting Is rejoice And yet Paul doesn't Have this greeting Rejoice So he's very particular. His greeting, he's very purposeful. It means something, okay? Because he could have just done the normal greeting and says rejoice. By the way, you know what's a typical Jewish greeting in letters? It's two words also. Mercy and peace. But does Paul say mercy? No, okay? He doesn't say this. So even for the Jews, he's not just using the typical what? So one country I go to, the typical greeting is you put your hands together and you say what? Ben, help me out. Hajur, help me out. What is it? What is it? <laughs> what is it? Oh, 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 I love that. So, do you do that outside of in normal day people in the hotel? You say Jamisy, they'll be looking at you. What? <laughs> what would what, what they greet you with? You, should, you say namaste, right? Oh. Namaste, yeah. Namaste, okay? <laughs> uh, just jogging here, okay? But then, within the church, you greet each other, Jamesy, because it's meaningful. You say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, maybe the same thing like the like Chinese. Okay, now I used to. My parents used to watch all these really old avant-garde like Chinese film, and I always hear the word Tongzhen, right? So I go to China and I go to the church, and then I'll say, Why does all these say T uh, What is it? How do you say? Help me with Chinese. Da. Uh, what do you say in the church? Not in the church. Uh, the church t Tshong, right? I'll say, hey, why do we say this? But whenever you go, like, outside with your family member, you never say that, right? And then, then I started calling everyone Tong and then they all started laughing and everything, right? I was like, okay, this is really inappropriate, and th- this is also like, a, this, you're like taking it to the days of Mao. We're not in the days of Mao anymore, okay? I was like, oh, okay, okay, right? I bring us to say is that there's greeting that's very particular to say within the church, right? To say within the church. When you greet one another, t, t- I can't pronounce things, right? Whatever that phrase is, you know, okay. This is greetings, right? Because it's meaningful within the church. Same thing when you look at this. When this term is not everyday language, you greet each other, grace and peace. You write this, they'll be like, huh? looking at you, right? You write a business line? but this is particular for the church because it has meaning. It's very, it's meaningful. This is not just another greeting. Hi, how are you, right? Or Tonjamin or lehoma, whatever else it is, okay. You look here, it's purposeful, okay. It's purposeful with this, okay. So then we have to see what is the blessing that is here. Look at the first blessing is the word grace. The first uh, word of blessing is the word what? Grace, okay? The first blessing again is the word grace. This refers to God's great kindness to those who are undeserving, okay? To those who are undeserving. Even before the New Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament... This word is actually used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Old Testament originally in Hebrew, 79 times. So obviously this is already a big theme of God, okay? You ever hear people say the Old Testament, Oh, God looks so mean. Uh, And in the New Testament, He's so nice, He never punishes anyone. Actually, if you read the book of Acts, God's still in the business of discipline, okay? Uh, If you read the book of Revelation, I don't know how you could say this. Right, Universal judgment, right? right? Not just Israel. I don't know how we could say it's two gods, okay? But even if you look very carefully in the New Testament, Actually, I think there's so much of grace, okay? If you want to go to Sermon Audio, download our System and theology part that we went over, we even see some attributes of God that we love. It's actually mentioned more in the Old Testament than even in the New, okay? In the New Testament, the word grace appears much more, 155 times. How many times? You know who mentioned it the most? Paul. A hundred times, okay? A hundred times. Over half of the time is mentioned by who? Paul. Okay. In fact, if you look at this book, do you think this book is going to mention about grace? Yes. Okay. We know the greatest verse of the gospel in Ephesians is what? Ephesians two eight to ten, right? For it is by what you've been saved? grace. grace okay. In fact, the book has the word grace twelve times. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is this Paul's not just using a cliche, right? Like Namaste or I don't know, lehoma or whatever else, right? or, You know, just just greeting. Okay. Or, or how are you? Okay. It is not a cliche. In fact. It is important, because God's great kindness towards us is one of the things that He's going to unravel, unpack, okay? He says it here, but it's like a pregnant word that's going to give full birth later on, just the glory. of What does that grace mean, okay? The second blessing is the word peace, okay? Even before the New Testament time, this word is also important. In fact, this word appears more in the Old Testament, in Old Testament translation, than even the word grace, It appears 211 times Often to translate the Hebrew word shalom You guys hear shalom? Right? So your Jewish friend when you greet them Even your secular what do you say? Shalom Okay Uh, The word shalom means peace Okay But it conveys more than just peace Like what we think like no war It also means blessing Both physical, spiritual, mental and all of it Holistic blessing Paul uses this term 43 times Eight of it in this book alone. You're gonna see this word mentioned a lot. In fact, when he talks about peace, though he's you only see here, you might say, What does it mean peace? He's gonna unpack what that means. Peace with God. That is blessing from God. And also peace with men and the church. Okay? In a world where the churches today are divided, okay? In a world today where the churches could even be divided, and sometimes I think when we talk about so much ethnicity, people could divide and say, hey, I'm of this or that, right? If you really want to get particular, we could always be saying we're all different in different ways, okay? But rather than all this, you're going to see that when he talks about reconciliation, man, he's going to emphasize the riches we have in where? In Christ, okay? So his application, do you want grace and peace in your life? This book will go over this. So prayerfully anticipate Before your application For preaching of God's word Even your application Is for next week Even before During the week Sometimes pray Lord God Make Jimmy be able To read the scripture Make him stay up late Every week So that he be able To read the scriptures And read all those Commentaries of thousands Of pages So that he could preach to me So that I could see The riches of his grace Oh yeah Pray Pray for the Holy Spirit Coffee Right So that I'll be awake be able to see this Okay Pray so that when we preach You hear You'll hear attentively And even study it on your own too. To see the grace and peace that God has given us. Do you wish this blessing also to others? Don't just only see grace and peace for yourself. But do you wish this through others? By the way, when you pray for others, we should pray for what they want, yes. But I think it's also good to pray that they are growing in what? Grafted in the grace of what? God. In fact, today's prayer meeting will be a little different. We'll actually be going to go through the roster of just praying for church members in this theme of grace and what? Peace for their lives Okay And peace with God first And peace with others Let's go now to the final point Oh my We're running out of time A dual source of blessing Fourth point is a dual source of blessing We already described the blessing But now we're going to see the source of that There's two sources again Father and who? Jesus Okay The Greek word from here Is indicating source The source of The two source of blessing earlier The grace and peace Right? The first source is indicated God our Father. By the way, for the Jews, this would have been shocking. The Jewish religion, even to this day, even back in the day when I was UCLA with Andrew sitting on Bruin Walk evangelizing, sharing the gospel, and Rabbinic Jews walked by and you know talk and you know argue and all that stuff. The idea of calling God our Father to them was like, oh, this is like non, yeah, like yeah, I was like, this is. Are you, are you close to God? Are you saying you're closer to God than me? It's like, oh, I think mean, Jesus Christ is closer, but that's how... It's not because I'm better than you. It's because of God's grace. Did you catch this? It says not only God, Father, but you see what's the pronoun before that? What's the possessive pronoun? Our. our. Did you catch that? It's making it personal. It's saying this is we have a real relationship with God. And the source of our relationship, a uh, uh, blessing, comes from Father, God. Who now justifies saves us, and therefore, He is our God. The second source is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word "Lord" there, originally derived from a word that, an adjective that means having power and authority. In Roman, uh, in Roman, time period, when you say someone's Lord, there's many usage, but this is also a common title for political leaders. Okay, in fact, I think one of the reasons why the church was persecuted so severely the first three hundred years was when Christians go around saying, the Lord Jesus Christ, they understood the implication of saying, are you saying Jesus Christ is greater than Lord Caesar? Right? And then eventually people say, uh, yeah, okay. Because this term could be used many things. You could even say owner, right? For instance, of slaves or all of these things. But yet, I think this term, and by the way, by the time in the first century, a lot of the Roman emperors, when they say, call me Lord, they're not just saying, oh, call me boss. Often their title For instance Nero You guys know Nero from history? Who's Nero? The Roman Emperor Yeah Nero was no hero He persecuted Christians a lot Okay uh, I think Paul the, the, the Roman Emperor that killed him Was Nero Okay He called himself The Lord and God Nero like, oh, this sounds like Christianese For Jesus Christ But I actually think The Christian language The Bible is using the language of They understood to say No God Jesus Christ is a true God Okay uh, Jesus Christ is the true God. And by the way, Jesus Christ is no ordinary human being. He's no ordinary person. Because did you notice all these things? There's a lot of duels, right? And yet each time the dual blessing, the, dual, uh, the authority comes from two sources for Paul Father and who? Son. Jesus Christ, right? And then here we even see a blessing from God, two blessing, grace and peace. Where's the two sources from? God and Jesus. If Jesus Christ was an ordinary human being, you all say, well, why is he putting it on a pedestal, the same equal footing from Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ, are you saying he's all powerful? He's all present everywhere through all time period that he could always give grace and peace to them? The one conclusion we have is what? He must be God. He must be a member of the Trinity himself. So, in terms of application, even before we begin, when was the last time you went to God? And thank God for grace and peace. Some of you guys, the last time we thank God might have been the last week of November. Why? That's Thanksgiving. But that should not be. Thanksgiving, listen, should be a lifestyle. We should thank God for grace and peace. And do you pray to understand more of the grace and peace you have from Him? Sometimes when you try to get peace in our life, we pray for circumstance to change. But do you realize sometimes circumstance, God does not allow it to change so that we actually go to something that's un- not changing That's stable Which is the promises of what God has declared Of our spiritual peace comes from God first So in the next few weeks Pray for the preaching of God's word But come eagerly also as well One of the reasons why we did this Was when Ben and I went overseas A few months ago it Brought a good point And by the way as a pastor I love hearing also what other people have to share We're saying hey, It will be good especially with some high uh, school I know some of them are, are not here today because of certain things for them before they go off to college to another church that they know what is the riches of God that we have in them and even as so I looked through because Ephesians was pretty short as I was reading on my own devotion I was thinking hey this is a really good book that man for people that are down I wish I could just go and just say this is who we are in Christ don't lose sight of that right don't lose sight of that so I think this is why we want to go over this it's collectively for all of us who needs this? I need this first. You need this, we all need this. And I hope in the next few weeks, we come, and I, I think as we go over this, I think there's gonna be so rich that the reason why we're gonna go slow, is not because I wanna be a slow preacher, but because as you see each word, man, the next few verses, we're just only in the next three, four verses in the next part, is this so rich. The promise is the word redemption is so rich and all this, we can unpack that for two, three weeks alone, but we're gonna hopefully go a little faster. But all this is to show the riches we have is the inheritance we have of Christ. And that's all made possible by who? Like any inheritance? In order to have inheritance, what must happen happen to that person to give us things? He must die. Same thing with our inheritance. Christ had to die for us to give us that inheritance. So everything you read, won't you say, oh yeah, I know it's for free. You know the sad part of our human nature? Anything we think is free, it's already what? We think is what? Cheap, yes? But we're going to see that His grace to us is costly. Never forget that. Never forget that thing he, we inherited is very costly. It costs His Son, dying on the cross. Free does not mean cheap. It's a very costly gift that He freely gives us. And we're going to unpack that in the next few weeks. Let's close in a word of prayer.